Hello, my name is Brandon Reich, and you are listening to The Graphic Sound. Sound. Episode 10 with Andy J. Miller. One of the coolest things that's happened in my life in the past year is that I met Andy J. Miller. He's a extremely talented illustrator. He's worked for Nickelodeon, Oreo, Nutella. He did the Indie Rock Coloring Book. He's worked for Google, Fast Company, Adweek, Mental Floss, Scholastic, Bloomberg, Wired, Sony, And the list goes on. You can actually visit andyj.pizza and you can see all of his work. He moved to my town. So it was this random thing of I was told about Andy J. Miller. I heard about the Creative Pep Talk podcast. I listened to a few episodes and then someone told me that I should connect with him because he lives in my town. So him and I met each other here in our town of Westerville, and we hit it off right away. So we're very different, him and I, especially visually. So if you look at his work and you look at my work, it couldn't be more different. But Andy really, really is able to get this emotion out of the work that he does, and you can really feel his point of view when you see his work. And I think he explains some things about his work in this episode that are pretty fascinating to me. And I think he's able to pull off creating some visuals to rather abstract ideas. And once you know that about him, I think his work even gets even more interesting, even more interesting than it already is. So he is also the host of a very popular design podcast called Creative Pep Talk. So if you haven't heard Creative Pep Talk yet, go to however get your podcasts and listen to Creative Pep Talk. Him and I are actually releasing these episodes simultaneously. So my episode, which is episode 10, is my interview here with Andy J. Miller. But then his episode, episode 81, is his interview with me. So they're completely different conversations. But you can hear one conversation with Andy and I in my show. And then you can hear another conversation in his show. So I encourage you, if you haven't already, to go over to creativepeptalk.com or look it up on your podcast thing, whatever you do. Check out episode 81 of Creative Pep Talk. You'll hear me there. So it's been really neat, Andy and I, our friendship, because we're both doing the same sort of thing. We have the heart for the same sort of thing. We want to inspire a creative community. We want to make sure the creative community understands that they're not alone in some of their struggles or some of their frustrations, that we're all going through it no matter what level we're at in our careers. And we're both passionate about trying to help you actually make a career out of your art. And that's a hard thing to do because we get to be artistic, but we don't necessarily know how to run the business or we don't necessarily know how to stay focused or stay motivated. So him and I, in our very different ways, are trying to do something very similar. And it's really fun for him and I to sit around and talk about podcasts and talk about what we want to do and what's the vision for our podcast. And also, if there's any way that these two podcasts combine in some fashion. So if you're thinking that, we're thinking that as well. So without further ado, I want you to hear this really good, really interesting conversation I have with my good buddy, Andy J. Miller. So what I want this episode to be is basically 
I'm going to introduce you to my friends. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because what's interesting about you and I is that when I first heard your podcast, Creative Pep Talk, I, I like looked this guy up and the work was amazing and your client Thank list you. was amazing. But what's funny about designers and illustrators is that how do I not know about you? And then yeah. I would kind of assume you didn't know about me. True. So it's yeah. like in the designer world, you know, we have, you know, we have our who's who and in the illustrator world, you have your who's who. So I guess just to start things out, like introduce yourself for who you think you are. You're, this is Andy J. Miller. <sighs> Hi. He, I'll call him an illustrator, but I have a feeling he doesn't want me to just call I him don't. an illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it doesn't really matter. I call myself a commercial artist. I yeah. feel somewhere in between design and illustration. Uh, I make all, a lot of my art is about drawing things that are invisible, which uh, sounds like some kind of uh, branding device, but it's really actually true to where, I, you know, as I was trying to develop my voice, mm -hmm. uh, you hear all these people tell you, just draw and, and make stuff about what you really like. And I would look around and people would, you know, be drawing pugs or drawing, you know, women or all these things. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, what do I like? I don't, there's nothing, I don't know anything I like that I could draw because all of the things I like, you can't see like philosophy yeah. and, and, you know, weird dreams, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, things that you can't see and nothing yeah. that you can observe. So I think, you know, I eventually kind of realized that my work was going to be about giving visuals to things that were not visual. That's awesome. And I think when you go see my work, that'll make sense. It makes um, sense now. I've never heard you say that. Yeah. So <laughs> after seeing your work, like, I forget what the last thing you did. You did something where like a cloudy dream was coming out of a woman's face. Yeah. <laughs> she had the hair. You could tell it was a yeah. woman, but instead of a face, it was like this cloudy dream. Yes. And I actually, uh, that came from, I've heard several people recently, just randomly, kind of this synchronicity yeah. of people describing this sensation where they say, and people say a lot of things, but they say that, you know, it's like lenses fell from their eyes and they could see spiritual beings walking yeah. around. You see an aura. You draw the aura. Yeah. yeah. And, and more. And yeah. other beings that aren't there. Like yeah. coming and going in your house and doing it. And so, okay. I'm not saying that. So I, you're slightly schizophrenic. <laughs> There's like voices in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even. It's it's almost like I, I love the relativity of enjoying that idea yeah. without having to judge it. I don't know how I feel about it really. I don't, and I don't really want to have a specific opinion. I just loved that idea so much. And that was kind of an illustration of trying to illustrate the blurring the lines between physical reality and spiritual. Yeah. And I also love that, uh, you know, all the spiritual ideas that we've had for thousands of years, mm -hmm. uh, if you go look into, you know, amateur quantum physics, just the top level, yeah. you see all these similarities with, you know, the different dimensions and what a different dimensional being would be. So these are all the things that I like Dude, to this think. this is great. I'm fa I didn't know this stuff about <laughs> yeah. you. So you're like fascinated by like the black hole or you're fascinated yeah. by dark matter. what God looks like or yeah. what, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, like this, man. this crazy, like, have you seen Interstellar? I haven't yet because Ooh. I haven't had a, it's like three hours long, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to haven't dedicate. had a chunk of time. And I think my wife would be bored by that. Tell I don't your think wife you need to come over and record a podcast at my house <laughs> and we'll sit down here. We could do commentary just yeah. while we want. To paint the picture, we're at my house in my little uh, basement TV room. This is where I've watched Interstellar with surround uh, sound and with I'm the in vibe. The space. So I think that's what, that's really cool. It's really cool because with illustrators, 
I think what's neat about what you do is that the stuff that you draw can be anything. Mm. There's no one there to tell you that's not the way it looks. True. Because, and that's when, when I draw like cartoony and I hate to use that word for your, for your art. That's okay. It's just so colorful Mm. and it's so, um, fun that, um, the word cartoon comes into, but I wouldn't call it cartoon at all. It's colorful illustration. Um, I don't know. I do know just as a side note, because I think that, um, especially in America, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot about it and it doesn't bother me. I, you know, I definitely have some sincere, I try, I think I'm really interested in like modernism and design and in the mid century and and minimalism and all that stuff. Mid century comes through in your work, I think. Yeah. And I'm definitely, that's definitely aesthetically there, Mm -hmm. but underneath conceptually, it's probably more surrealistic or uh, psychedelic or cart, even SpongeBob. Like there's that stuff going on, which is a really weird kind of juxtaposition to put next to modernism. And so well, I like this, that. It's, there's this I'm, great you know. structure to your work. I think there's this great, like, um, there it's color blocks. It's very colorful. And I think that like, I don't know, it like, it makes sense. It's very pleasing to look at. It's not, it's not confusing. It's just like, you know, you did a new, when you started creative pep talk, you had this one avatar or profile, whatever you want to call that. And then you did another one. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's exactly the way the first song uh, on your podcast yeah. is that yes song. Yeah. Why? Why? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew it was one word. Yeah. Uh, that why song, that's what it looks like is the, the icon for creative pep talk, all the colorful little things coming out mm. everywhere. That's what that song sounds like. Yeah. And I think, and I was so, it was so cool when you added that song. Cause I was like, yes, you nailed mm. it. You nailed with the, you had that new song and then you had the new, I don't know if the song was new, but the girl was at the was same new. time. Yeah they merged perfectly. There yeah. was synchronicity there. That was, that was I think perfect. it was a, a weird thing for me. I think it took me 10 years to really unpack some of these ideas because they were so much more abstract, yeah. but I'm dealing with visual things. And so um, trying to unpack the thoughts and feelings that were going to my head uh, took a long time. And well, let's go back to that. Then. Yeah. Let me, let's hear your path. Let's hear your whole story about how you got started. So um, you're from Go Indiana back to, the, to the womb. Uh, I don't <laughs> care about the womb. I mean, if you want, but that's the, uh, what's the womb look like? To, what well, color was it? Was it was colorful. It was pink. Uh, yeah, it was pink Pink and reddish. And you actually, you know, all right, I'm <laughs> going to get gross. Uh, <laughs> no, I just wanted to, as a side note, uh, your fingerprints come from the touching the womb. Like, so you think that's what that I, the other side, the inverse of these fingerprints are the lining? Of I the don't wound? know, but I heard, I read in a baby book cause I have lots of babies yeah. that, uh, that there's some kind of connection. Which Do one. you know how many babies you have? <laughs> I think I have three, but all the time I'm the wor- really worrying thing is that there's something about that number that, yeah. you know, you're always doing head counts and stuff every time you make a transition. And like, yeah. uh, I keep doing this and my wife keeps, keeps doing this where you'll count one, two, three and be like, where's the other one? Mm-hmm. Cause you're just not, you're just like, you're always certain that you're not being diligent enough. Yeah. So you're like, wait, we, there's we not have four. all three. No. We yeah. got all three right oh now. We gosh. did it. We, we've accomplished the task. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Now, yeah. It, if you want, you can go back to the womb, but really let's, <laughs> let's get to about three or four year old. Andy. Yeah. Uh, so I always, I feel really comfortable talking about this, mm-hmm. but I'm always sensitive, um, to the fact that there's some sad elements here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm comfortable. You're comfortable. We've talked about this stuff before. I have before. some music we can put in the background for <laughs> when you the do sad a slow stuff. piano. Yeah, we can stuff. do the sad okay. music. Coming. Uh, so, uh, you know, I had a great childhood and, you know, we didn't grow up impoverished or anything, mm-hmm. but, um, 
My my mom is a really unique character, uh, and it's where a lot of my personality comes from. A mm-hmm. lot of my artistic quality uh, comes from. But when I was really young, she kind of uh, left us. She ended up leaving another set of kids, and that was kind of. Um, I bring it up first because mm-hmm. I think that that more than anything really shaped, uh, shaped my childhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, because. My dad went and married someone who was a lot more like the other side of him. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite side of me. And I, um, you know, we have a pretty good relationship, my stepmom and I now, but, um, they shaped a family that was very much outside of me. So mm-hmm. I was very, un- I still am very unique within my, my family. And so I spent a lot of time, um, in my own head and drawing and pretending like Mm -hmm. I, I would pretend and like play superheroes way beyond what was normal. So you were crazy and you're kind of saying this would make a whole lot more sense (laughs) if mom was around. So you'd reference why he's so crazy, but mom isn't around. So that leaves me out on an Island by myself. It does. Yeah, it totally does. And so I, you know, I spent a lot of time creating worlds, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, fantastical worlds and I would get really deep into this or that cartoon or whatever, and then build on it and draw new characters. Like, I always felt like with X-Men, we would go play X-Men in the woods and stuff. Mm-hmm. There was never a character that like, I liked a lot of things. Like I liked the world, but I always felt like they didn't, they, they were missing the really good characters. And so I would like make up my own versions with different qualities. Um, and so I, I don't know. I spent a lot of time. You created new X-Men. And fan, I did a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, all the time. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time uh, kind of in a, a escapism mm-hmm. through art and, and ideas and all that stuff. Um, so I was always drawing and creating things, but it didn't fit within my family. And, the, and my family was really uncultured in terms of the arts. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a barren wasteland. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to diss Phil Collins, but that was definitely the best. You, hey, listen, you can diss <laughs> Phil Collins, man. If that's what my podcast is about, <laughs> full on Phil Collins I mean, dissing. In the air of the night, in the air tonight, that one's kind of, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Listen, I can't dance. I can't walk. That's not good. In the air tonight. That's not good. It's got the, it's got the cinematic like man, quality. Yeah, no, let's not. We can diss Phil Collins all yeah, you want on this that, one. I think, and we didn't even have any of those albums. We had the greatest hits of that. That was yeah. like the highest form of art that we had in our house. It probably. just represents like the thing on VH1 that I don't want to be watching. Yes. It repre- you know what? It represents VH1. It does. It's because very, like yeah, when I would VH1. go to my babysitter, she would have MTV and VH1. Yeah. I want to watch MTV because I want to watch freaking Billy Idol, Rock mm. the Cradle of Love or whatever. Yeah. And then why is it on VH1? Because it's always, I can't dance, I can't walk, and there's somebody hitting a bottle in the video, and there's this Western thing, and they're doing like an Egyptian walk. Uh, yeah. Get out of here, man. I it gives wanna... me kind of that kind of uh, qual- sound quality that really compressed, like, I don't know, yeah. makes me feel nauseous. I've divided myself. Or like car sick. A lot of people I've grown up with, a lot of friends, I can really divide myself based on what their parents listen to. Mm-hmm. And I know the reference I just gave was my babysitter, but my parents listen to like country music my whole yeah, growing up. Yeah. So it always bothers me when someone is like really into like Richard Marks or Phil Collins or something like, cause it's like, that is not my world. My mom yeah. did not listen to that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it always Phil gives Collins. me the creeps, man. I'd uh, rather listen to like George Strait and Joe Diffie. Did, uh, than listen Phil to Collins did Richard have Marks. a few decent music videos for when you were a kid. Like there was one, I don't remember what it was, but 
it had like a bunch of puppets and stuff yeah. and it was really freaky. The finest video when I was a kid was Faith No More Epic. Because, I don't think um, I know that. Well, the song is still like one of my favorite songs yeah. ever, but at the end there's a fish flopping yeah. and everybody was just worried, did the fish die? No one really knows no because knows. there's a fish just like end, flopping uh, for his life. It's kind of like Inception at the we end. We never know. Like, is it the yeah, the thing kept spinning. <laughs> we didn't know if it, the fish, fish died. Fish is flopping. From what I hear, the fish made it. But man, <laughs> oh, that's a good song. That's a nail biter. Yeah. Uh, so, so I derailed this thing. <laughs> let's get back to, so, yeah. uh, I don't know about Phil Collins, but let's get back to you let's using, talk more about that. Uh, using your art as an escape. So, so, okay. Um, so I drew a lot of pictures and, but I didn't have any reference point of art and I, you know, grew up around a lot of people that were telling me you should go into art. Yeah. And I think your reference points are really small at that time, unless you're in a more arts, uh, cultured family. Mm -hmm. And, so because I wasn't only the only things I really knew about were like animation. And yeah. I also knew like, I'm not going, I'm not, I might be really creative, but I'm not super crazy talented in my, you know, draftsmanship. So I just kind of knew like, I'm not going to go draw really hyper realism. I'm not going to do, you know, crazy tons and tons and tons of animation cells and all that. So I just, I never really took it seriously. I didn't have any reference point. I just kind of was having tons of fun. Just as a person. note real quick and you say that, I think it's important to for just people for listeners to know that like I think I was the same way where I was like I was good at drawing. Yeah. And there wasn't even the word art. You know, I know mm. I liked art class, but I didn't know what art for a living was. So at that point you're just like, Well, I guess I either draw comics in the newspaper or yeah. I'm gonna draw a cartoon. That's yeah. all I know art can be. Totally. But the problem is that I wasn't I mean, I was talented, but I wasn't this crazy otherworldly talented. And I knew kids who were crazy. No, yeah, I did too. And but I think I hated their guts. Right. But <laughs> I think there's this I think we have an advantage because our level of talent requires more work. And they rest on their laurels true. being like, That's No, I'm true. the best illustrator anybody's ever seen. Watch me draw X Men. Yeah. You know, and, oh, totally. and you would see those people draw X Men and it would be mind blowing. Yes. But the problem is it's like it's too easy for you. And, and actually, if you can if you can struggle a little bit more and you can know and kind of have your back against the wall a little bit more, you're probably going to learn to work harder for the little bit of talent that you do have. Yeah. I definitely feel, uh, that any of the success that I've had has been on the back of being really economic with my talent and yeah. being really strategic of like, how do I, uh, use, okay, I only have this certain amount of raw talent. I do have that, mm -hmm. but I need to, how do I get the most use as, out of it and how do I build a career out of it? Yeah. And so you know, I've definitely, that's been an ongoing thing. Um, but yeah, so I grew up and I had lots of people tell me that, but I never really took it seriously. And I grew up listening to boys to men mm -hmm. with my cousin, Dave moved in and Cooley uh, High Harmony. He, got, he hooked us up with Cooley High Harmony. So, you know, not to diss boys to men either, Don't, but hey, <laughs> not on this podcast, buddy. We are not dissing boys to men on this podcast, but it wasn't, you know, just to say it wasn't high art culture around. And I lived in Indiana and there, there just wasn't around. Um, yeah. and, and my, my parents came from, uh, blue collar situations and my dad has been really successful after that, but I just had no resources in the arts and I didn't know anything about art. And so, um, in high school though, I walked into Spanish class one day and one of my friends was playing Modest Mouse. Mm -hmm. And I remember not liking it, mm -hmm. but I remember- What grade are we here now? This is junior year. Okay. Uh, and I remember thinking, but I remember being struck like to the core of like, this is unlike anything I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and there's something about it like there's a metric 
they're like uh, grading this on a metric that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and, but I could tell it there was an artistic quality to it. And um, so I went and bought the album and actually it was my friend, Will Johnson. I just want to give him a shout out because he actually lives in Columbus, Ohio now. What up, Will? So it's, it's a weird thing. But uh, so I went and bought the album and I didn't get it and I just listened to it and listened to it and listened to it until it clicked. Yeah. And then I was obsessed with it. And they had this amazing uh, visual history with band posters and merch and all, you know, and it, it was very curated, highly stylistic, and um, just really good taste. Uh, it's funny how there's those bands that are sort of like the pioneers of the, I shouldn't say pioneers, that's a bad word, but pioneers of the poster movement. Mm -hmm. So it's like there is that poster movement from the early 2000s, that people like Aesthetic Apparatus or Invisible, well, Asterix Studio, yeah. um, you know, Print Mafia, all kinds of different poster printers. And it's always like, Yola Tango, mm -hmm. Modest Mouse, um, you know, the Shins, bands like that. And it's and it's funny when you find one of those bands because you're sort of, you get yourself into this other world of art culture. Yeah, That has nothing totally. to do with the music. No, totally. But you found a new world that is different. It was a doorway. It was definitely like a gateway. And it was Isaac Brock, the lead singer, spins a crazy amount of time curating that. He obviously has like a deep interest in these things. And yeah. so- the year that I got into them, they had hired the Dakota Ring Design Concern to mm -hmm. do all of their posters um, for every stop of the tour, a different poster based on a different song. Yeah. And awesome. that literally uh, was the start of thinking more seriously about commercial art. Yeah. Um, and that was high school. And so I remember, because I remember seeing the posters and thinking they're totally brilliant in a, in a, in a, um, in great taste, but you know, I could, I could do that. I could see myself doing that. Um, they're not, it wasn't the crazy raw talent. It was more like the taste and, and how, uh, well thought out they were and all that. Um, and so I got into that. And then right at the end of school, my dad, uh, got transferred to England, um, to the, to the North in West Yorkshire, Huddersfield. And so I got a student visa right at that same time, went there. So had you graduated high school yet? I had, it was right when I was graduating, oh, wow. um, they were moving. And so I, I could either go to, I would have just gone to, you know, some local college, yeah. you know, I didn't know, and I didn't even know about art schools. I think um, that, well, when you said that, that what stood out is that I was a junior in high school when I solidified, I didn't really know what graphic design was. Yeah. I think I really understood the term graphic design when I was 17 years old, a junior in high school. And before that I had been doing it. I had been making flyers for my band. I had been making logos for my band and all this stuff, but I didn't really know, you know, think about, I mean, that sounds crazy old to me. Yeah. Being like it wasn't until 17 years old that you knew what graphic design was. No. And it's, and it's crazy to think how long I've been doing what I've been doing. I'm 33 years old now. Mm. And it's like, you didn't find out until you're right there at the end of high school. So yeah. I think that gives hope to people coming up and being like, you don't have to have it figured out. If you think, you know, in 17, maybe early for a mm -hmm. lot of people. So it's like, it's okay if you don't even, if what you want to do for a living doesn't reveal itself till later in, you know. And actually that's something I've been thinking about a lot because I do uh, a lot of coaching with artists and mm -hmm. different people and talking to them about trying to find you know, a thread that goes through their life or something that they really want or whatever. And there are some people that just don't have a sense of that. And I think, yeah, I, w I must've been 16 or 17 when I started to find that out. But I feel even as I'm almost 30 and I feel like I'm just learning some 
really big new things that I couldn't have figured out without having to just be on the journey. And so I do think that, I think part of me just kind of gets a little bit aggravated by the lack of nuance in a lot of the kind of self-help stuff out there that says, well, you can just take a weekend off and really buckle down and figure out what your passion is. It's like, well, there's a lot more serendipity. There's a lot yeah. more journey and story that is wrapped up in all that. And I think there's something kind of stale when you're told what the next step is, as uh, opposed yeah. to when you realize what the discover. next step is. Yeah, yeah. discover it. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with a lot of, I think that's when I find, when I get frustrated with other designers is that you've been told all this stuff. Mm. You didn't realize this stuff when you're like it's not you an experience. Get, yeah. It's not yeah. an experience. Like you don't have conviction when you say what it is that you do. You don't have conviction when you, you, you were just told this is the thing that you're supposed to do. Mm. And I think deep at the core of myself is, um, you know, getting away from the idea of doing that, you know, the, the phrase, the worst phrase I've ever heard in my life. And there's people in my family who use this phrase. Oh, this is just what you do. Right. And I think like, Guy, no, there was some, uh, somebody has used it as a, as a it's slogan. what you do, Geico, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, that kills me because it's saying, we don't need to use our own brain. Yeah. We don't need to use our own conviction. We don't need to use our own story. We were told this is what you do. And I'm telling you, it's not what you do. Well, I hate, <laughs> uh, I hate to go back to uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey all the freaking time, but it's just such a good reference point um, because I think it explains a lot about the human experience. And one of the the core moment at the beginning is the call to adventure. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're describing the opposite of the call. The refusal of the call is to say, I just kept doing the, you know, I just went with the flow my whole life and it's just what you do. You just mm-hmm. do the everyday thing and just, you know, get on with it. Yeah. And the idea is the discovery, the thing that you find and calls you out and says, maybe go this way. And life yeah. could be totally different than you could ever imagine. And you have an option there. And I even felt like at the time, uh, I don't know if I had a girlfriend, but we had been dating off and on and we had like a complex high school relationship. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. And uh, we, at that same time that I'm getting ready to move to England um, and I, you know, there was all kinds of reasons to just be like, I'll just go to the community college like I was going to. Mm -hmm. I'll just, and I think back to that and thinking about refusing that call and that big leap to, to move overseas and how. My, I can't, I, I, who's to say, but I can't, I can't imagine that life. Like I can't imagine how staying in Indiana, uh, how much just staying there doing that, doing that, you know, there's the a kind whole of typical other world thing. over there. That and you it's could, not one that I would want to have lived yeah, yeah. as far as I can see. Obviously I don't know, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. But England represented this new life, this new adventure, yeah, wonder, totally, which is important. Totally. Wonder, you totally. Know? Yeah. And, um, so you decided, so you're 18 years old, I'm assuming. Yep. And then you go over to England because your dad got a new job. So you have to go to college in England if you're going to go to college. Yeah, and I never visited uh, before. Yeah. So we we moved over there and then we were there. And actually the culture shock was insane. Yeah. I can't even, uh, I could talk about it for hours. I'll spare you and just trust me. I got hours if you want to do it. It's way, uh, the culture shock is way crazier than you could ever imagine because you assume, you know, we speak the same language, we share a history and all mm-hmm. this stuff that it, you know, won't be that different. But it, you know, other than, you know, it's great that you do speak the same language to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes it easier, obviously. But beyond that, everything's just as different as any other culture. Yeah. And, you know, the first year or two was just getting 
acclimated to everything being different and not just, and I don't mean physically, that stuff doesn't really bother me. I love new. I love new stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the culture and the, the philosophy that goes into the everyday people and the way that they see life yeah. is dramatically different. Um, you know, I would say that this is a generalization, so it's not completely true, but mm-hmm. in my experience, England was a much more introverted culture. I think you know, they spend so much time around strangers because there's so much more public transportation and there's less space. So there's a certain way that you go about doing things so that you don't, you know, offend everybody or get in each other's, you know. You stay out of each other's Yeah, so there's like a kind of uh, a a more, I don't know, it feels a little bit more introverted, feels a little bit more uh, understated. Um, Even if you, one of my favorite things is if you compared um, like someone getting on American Idol here mm-hmm. versus someone getting on X Factor over there. Um, if it's here, they would be like, this is the best thing Throw ever. Nothing, like nothing, nothing means anything besides this audition. This is the best day of my life. And then if you go over to the British one, the British is like, yeah, it's one of those like, uh, you know, the, the best kind of things that could happen. And you're like, <laughs> are you saying oh, you're the winner speaking I'm, like that? Yeah, I am. Yeah. And I, and that's just my nature is to be, uh, extremely expressive, yeah. really loud, boisterous. And so that was a weird transition. And some people really felt like that was a breath of fresh air, like my wife and, yeah. and, the, and the few really, really There's close no friends Richard I had. Simmons in England. <laughs> no. That guy no. just wouldn't yeah. fit. <laughs> Like, what are and you that, going on about, Richard? Are you calling me Richard Simmons? No, 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 no. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's okay all, if you I are. Just, I just try to think of American enthusiasm <laughs> in that, you know, we give a ribbon for last yeah. place or yeah, whatever, man. all just, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, just, yes. And the, and actually, uh, as another completely different side aspect is that once you really um, dive in deep within several cultures, you lose your sense of home to a real degree to yeah. where you feel disconnected everywhere, but also connected everywhere. Wait, what do so I stand for? What's my personality? I've been here so long. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So it's weird. You get uh, a weird perspective. So anyway, moving there was really uh, a re- very strange experience, but mm-hmm. um, it was amazing because I think I went over there and I got really in touch with like the European design aesthetic mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of, a lot of the history of modernism, my tutors were kind of in that or the ones that I- So what's the name of the school you're going to? I went to uh, Huddersfield University okay. and uh, I did a creative imaging and the first year I did illustration, but there was too much observational drawing and I just wasn't, it wasn't exciting. Mm-hmm. And the graphic design students looked like they could do anything with the project that they got. They could kind of take it wherever they went. So I switched to graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I did that and I met a a core group of people that, um, we were really competitive with each other and like, you know, ironing, iron, sharpening iron Mm -hmm. and just, uh, yeah. So, but I definitely got a real taste for European design, Swiss design, modernism over there that, that kind of really permeated everything I was doing. I think it still sets me apart today Mm -hmm. to where, um, so much in America is, I don't know, edgier yeah, uh, or, or grittier or whatever. And I think that, um, I think I probably would have went more down that path had yeah. I stayed in America. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Like there's grittiness, like there's, we are quite improper in yeah. America you oh, know? Yeah. and there's a grit. It's like, um, you know, we're, we're not the rejects by any means, you know, you can call no. Australia some rejects and you call America some rejects, but it's been so long that, We've sort of created our own culture out of nothing. 
So mm. we came over with some English culture, but then it just turned into something else. It was DIY yeah. and very, yeah, the Americana and the down to earthness. And, and then so even, there's really only a few spots in America that you could even call refined anymore. Oh, and yeah. And we're still gritty. And that's, and there's that's all, who we are. And it's great. There's all kinds of awesome things about that. And I think, and then I think, especially in like pop culture and art culture, the whole like, punk and then grunge and all of these things defined what cool was. Yeah. Right. And so you have all this relief and stress and textures and all that stuff. Sure. And that massively impacted the design and illustration world. And I think going over there and seeing, um, okay, people thinking, Oh, this thing's really cool, but it's also really tame. It's really, really clean. It's really proper, mm-hmm. but it's also subversive. And that's like, man, that's a very, it was very bizarre to me at the time, yeah. but I got, I gained a, a, a real taste for that. And that massively impacted my work. You can still see all that today. There's, yeah. you know, there's almost no edginess in my work. Actually, that's always like a red flag. I think it's on. brave. Yeah, I think it's, it's brave weird. to be it's, a designer or an illustrator your age and still be able to be so, um, have so much fun and stick to your guns so mm. much. I think that's what I see in your work is that I'm much more of a chameleon and mm. I've always been a chameleon. And sometimes I can argue there's a lot of value in being a there chameleon. Is. At there least for absolutely me, absolutely is. is. There's I think, a- I think there'll be that, you know, later in this, later we'll get to more of the illustration versus designer and the difference in those two. Yeah. But, you know, for me, there's been benefit to being a chameleon. But when I see somebody like you that has the conviction to say, this is the way I do it. Mm-hmm. And, and what's fun for me is I know that while your work has the same style, I know that you're exploring so many different, different nuances inside of that work. And you're, you know, I see newness to a lot of things and I, and there's, I think your work gives me an emotion. That's what's so fun about you and I is that your work gives me emotion that there's no way you would ever get from my work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And vice versa. (laughs) Yes, totally. And and that's what's really fun about this. And I see a lot of differences in us, but, um, so anyway, that's totally true. No. And I, so anyway, it's, it's been an interesting part of the journey of developing that type of work and that taste. Um, and then moving back to America. So, I met my wife in four my, years, three years, three years. It's three a three years. year degree. It's a bachelor's program. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm the last year, right before the third year, I met my wife and, uh, we fell really hard. And it mm-hmm. was one of those situations where I'd really lost the idea of like falling in love. I thought, yeah. I just thought, I don't know. I just thought that's stupid. Well, you're that's, in England. <laughs> <they're> not- <laughs> I well, yeah, I don't know. I just think I, I think, uh, actually to get if to be totally transparent, my mom, a big part of her, like, you know, leaving and, and going from family to family was like finding the one. Yeah. Like, and uh, your dad wasn't the one. There that, was this quest for <laughs> yeah, perfection. It was a weird, um, it was a value system that, that caused her to always be looking around the corner and there must be something better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not deal with conflict very well. It's very like fixed mindset. Yeah. And, uh, I think that it made me really reject that idea. Yeah. And, uh, I don't really know where I stand on that today, yeah. but when we met, I was in this very like kind of stoic or, uh, detached thinking, okay, when I find someone who's really compatible and we share the same values and mm-hmm. we have you just know, all made this you stuff, roll your eyes at anything romantic in no, a broad yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and so I was totally smashed over the head by meeting, uh, this woman because we fell super deep in love in such a weird, goofy way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, within a really short period of time, we were like 
really certain that we wanted to get married, mm-hmm. which was good because we there was a ticking uh, time bomb of me losing my visa at the end of that year. Oh, so that all kind of threw things into a weird uh, tailspin of stuff. And uh, we met and got married and had a baby. And we stay, I stayed in England for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, So two years after college. And um, I did some design work, but I was always kind of like focused on getting illustration slash commercial art, freelance career off the ground. Yeah. Um, And then in 2010, we moved back to America. So freelance was the only... You, yeah. why didn't you want to work at an agency? Um, so you had your degree. Yeah. That's another interesting, uh, what'd you need a degree for if well, you're going to be freelance? Uh, good question. Yeah. I always knew that I kind of had to go to college in terms, I didn't have to, obviously I'm my own person, but my parents definitely wanted me to. And I always mm-hmm. just assumed that I would, I didn't really think, think about it more yeah. than that. Um, and And I didn't really know about freelance. I didn't really know about jobs. I didn't know about anything. So as I was going through that process, um, one of the things I realized was, so this is a whole can of worms that we could could or could not get into, but um, I could be uh, qualified or I could be uh, called ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. um, if, if you are of the persuasion to give people those types of, uh, labels, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm like the poster child. I, every, every single symptom I have times 50,000. And so I had to have jobs, uh, since I was 14, like mm-hmm. part-time jobs. And I didn't just dislike them like a normal person dislikes What do you mean had job. to? Your dad made My parents you. made me, uh-huh. they ha- had to have a job. Um, and my mom actually, I'm fairly certain, I'm definitely certain that she also is, uh, ADHD. So I have this very, this kinship with her and she can never keep a job, mm-hmm. um, because she hated it. And I re I really deeply hate working for somebody else. I hate yeah, me too. having to be at a place like confined for, uh, a long period of time with no, choices. Like if yeah. and, and it's about attendance, not about the work. Yes. Yeah. And I, I can't, you know, I, I could even, you know, if I was really good at whatever I was getting paid to do, I could do it so much faster and better, um, than, than a lot of people, but, and it, then I'd still have to be there. Yeah. And I just, so I love, um, and, and, and school was like that. High school was like that to where, um, there was these tasks, do these tasks every day. You're going to come in and do these tasks and you're going to stay here for the whole period of time. Yeah. And in college, we didn't ever have to be in class and we only had to do the project, which was so confusing. And I was so good at that. Yeah. I was so good at, um, okay, here's the project. It's due in six weeks and you can do it however you want. Yeah. And I could smash that because yeah. I could do it at three in the morning if I wanted to do it at three in the morning. And I could, you know, I could, it was just those options and the flexibility and, and being able to, um, kind of determine those things, um, was for me. I knew yeah. it was for me. And, you know, I had done enough work. I'd worked from 14 to like 20 years old at part-time jobs that literally made me nauseous yeah. like every day where my story is I was at, um, I worked at Best Buy selling computers when I was probably about 18, 19 years old, right yeah. after I graduated high school. And, um, I had, my band had a tour coming up in the summer of 2001. So yeah, yeah, I am 18 years old at this point and summer 2001, I'm, I'm giving him my, um, I'm giving him like a month and a half notice and I'm giving my manager a notice. I said, my band's going on tour for two weeks. So just letting you know from July, whatever to whatever, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. And the boss said, 
well, Brandon, I'd like you to, I'd like to let you have your, you know, life and everything, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I let you off for those days. And I'm like, dude, I'm part time. <laughs> I'm 18 years old, part time. I'm the sitting company here is going to suffer without Brandon I'm, Reich selling these computers. I'm sitting here around a bunch of PCs telling all these customers to go get a Mac. You don't need me here, buddy. <laughs> anyway, uh, right when he said that, I said, okay, so can I put, can I count this as my two weeks notice right now? And it wasn't, I wasn't doing it as like a middle finger to him, yeah. really. I was just, it was so ingrained in me as like, that doesn't make sense yeah. and I'm out of here. No. And that was the last time that like I ever dealt with a boss. And I know that we're going to get with, we're probably going to talk about the podcast and stuff like that. But you know, my, my passion for helping other creative people, you know, I want to help people that don't have ADD and have whatever, whatever mm-hmm. situation they have. Um, you know, I'm really envious of people that could be totally fine working at a job, but also like doing their own thing. I'm, I'm really, you know, very envious of that. But, um, my passion really comes from the fact that I think there are these people out there that have so much value to give the world and give our society that they're, you know, they're great pieces of society. They have so much to give, but, um, the society is not set up in such a way to understand what their value is, to help steward it and to help pay them for it. Yeah. And so, you know, I always felt like, I don't know. I think early on before I knew about commercial art, I just thought I was doomed. Yeah. Like the, I know I'm not going to fit into a regular thing. And, and, and I watched my mom not fit into anything and, you know, turn to a crappy life because of that. I've always looked at it like, let's just use the illustration of an off-ramp on a highway. Yeah. So at rush hour, you see the people turning right to get off the exit. And yep. there's like a huge, the, the line is like two miles long of cars. And then you see the people on the side just kind of weaving in and out. And then some people go and they get in at the last minute, whatever. Yeah. I'm definitely, and this doesn't necessarily always happen to drive. Yeah, it does happen. All I'm sorry. I'm the guy getting in the last, I'm the guy doing whatever I want in the, in the left lanes, getting to where I need to go. However, that needs to happen. And I'm sitting here looking at the people in line all the way to the right. And I'm like, what in the world are you doing? doing? Do you not, how do you have time to sit here and obey when there is not like you can go do whatever you want to do? Is it, is it not courteous to the rest of those people? Sure. It's not courteous. Yeah. Now, with this said, I'm a very, very like, uh, I'm, you know, I follow all the rules uh-huh, when I yeah. drive. I'm very yeah, like, yeah. I don't do my phone and all that stuff. I'm paying attention. I drive really fast, but That's I'm paying good. attention. Yeah. I'm a good driver. I care. <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm a respectful you. driver, but this is what I'm talking about where it's like, I feel like our society has been like, listen, can all you guys just be in line? Mm-hmm. Because all these people, there's a few of these people going nuts over here and we don't know what to do with them. Yeah. The IRS is saying the same thing. We don't know what to do with all these people. Can you just stay in line? Mm-hmm. Stay in line, please. You guys obey. If we can get the 90% of you guys to obey, we're, we have to at least get the 90% of you guys yes. to obey because these 10, 10% people are losing their mind. Yeah. They're not following the rules. They're not staying in line. And I can't figure out why we would possibly stay in line. Mm. And I feel like there's so many, that's me. Yep. Now I've definitely met people that they want to stay in line. Yeah, They're like, they well, I'm it. okay. Cause I can leave at five o'clock and I don't have to bring it home with me. Yep. And they value that. That's a big thing for them. So and they actually, can go out and hang out with their friends, hang out with whatever they do. I have, I have forfeited all of that social life mm, yeah. for the ability to stay focused on this thing that I love mm-hmm. so much. And yep. it's been so rewarding. And I've been able to build a career 
bigger than other people and been able to build a career, make more money than other people have been able to make. And it's because I didn't stay in line. Yeah. And oh, I, yeah, totally. I have this belief that if you can, you know, and this is going back to contradict some stuff because there is the hustle and we're mm-hmm. going to have to talk about hustle later, sure. but um, there's the hustle that's like, it's, there's value in hustling and there's value in trying so hard because we know that we can achieve something yeah. bigger than what the people in line can achieve. Yep. And I just won't stay in line if I don't have to stay in line. And I wish other people are like that, but I guess I do value the people that will stay in line because I'll probably employ a few of them. Yeah, no, yeah. And uh, yeah. So I think that you have to make room for all the different personality types and all the different persuasions and all that. I think that's totally true. And uh, so I'm, I'm never saying that these people that are in the margin that don't fit in are better or worse than anybody else, but they still need to find their place and they still have a lot to give. Yeah. Um, but I think it goes back. Something I think about a lot is the whole industrial revolution and how, yes, that gave us so many things. Our whole modern life exists because of the industrial revolution. Um, on the flip side of that, there are all kinds of really negative repercussions like, you know, things on the environment and just, Mm -hmm. and all, yeah. Okay. So there's all this great stuff that happened. But, um, if you look back like Seth Godin, uh, you, you familiar with that guy, uh, marketer, he, uh, talks a lot about how everything in our society is set up, uh, based on the industrial revolution. Our school system is not there to teach you. It's there to teach you how to be at a place for extended period of time and do what you're told. Right. Like you're working in a factory. Yeah, it's an old model. Yeah, and and that that's literally our whole society's built around that. And and the truth is, is I think, yeah, it did help us to make stuff that humans could never have made, right? These machines and these things, but they also stole part of our humanity at that same time. Yeah. Because um it doesn't yeah, to sit there, stand there and and be on an assembly line and, and push the same button three thousand times in a row. Um, there's a part of you that dies doing that. Yeah. At it's least it does for format. me. It's set up a format for like most institutions. Yeah. This is the way we're going to do a business. So then if we're going to have a school, we're going to have a time limit. You have to do this. We're going to have rules and guidelines. Yeah. And then, well, if we're going to have a church, we're going to have rules and guidelines. If we're going to have anything, it's it. that is the best way for the, um, for the broadest people that yeah. works for the yeah, broadest exactly. group yeah. of people. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are, the crazies on the, le- in the left lanes that there's no, there's no format for, no. you know, and, and as I've become an adult and paying taxes, I'm so frustrated every year with taxes because I'm like, there is, you guys haven't changed the system for people like me yet. And it's so well, frustrating because this system, um, only, only rewards like rule followers. I don't want to get too uh conspiracy theorist or whatever it is, <laughs> but I will say, I think it's just a fact. It's not, a, you know, but that's what conspiracy theorists They're trying to say. keep us in line. That's I what know. they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I know I totally do. I totally cannot take the healthcare and tax situation. It doesn't feel fair. It makes me sick actually, especially trying to help creative people and people that need to find their own thing. It. I hate knowing that, yeah, as much as I can help you, you're also going to be smashed with these societal things that are built to smash you. Yeah. And, you know, the truth of the matter is a lot of our government is based on corporate lobbying and, you know, the lobbyists, ha- it's in their best interest to keep the cogs in the machine. And it's just, that's totally true. You know, yeah. in terms of, uh, if you look at TurboTax, they literally have lobbied the government to make sure that the tax system does not get more simple. 
Yeah. Because if it gets more simple, then people won't need their products. That's a fact. That's, oh, sure. And, and it's and, like, why would Clearasil like get rid of your zits? Exactly. It's got to give you zits a little <laughs> bit, right? Because you need to you buy more. Keep using it. Right. So, but it's it's totally. Uh, you know, I hate. And the other thing, I don't know. This what, podcast was brought to you by Clearasil <laughs> <laughs> and TurboTax. Uh, the uh, I think it's. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's sickening. It may, I can't stand it. And I also think the current numbers are like a third of Americans now don't fit into that system. Yeah. So, you know, I think you're seeing Yeah, it. I've heard crazy numbers about how many people are self-employed and how many people like self-employment yeah. is a huge area now it's because massive. there's so many and it's small get businesses. Bigger. Yeah. More, more and more uh companies as they change healthcare to to where the companies have to front so much cost and all this stuff, companies are going to figure out how to make you not an employee. Yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, there's so many, I work with so many companies and actually not too long, a couple of days ago, I said, um, this change I've, I've included the font, whatever you can make this. Somebody in-house can make this change. Yeah. They emailed me back and said, we don't have anybody in-house. You're the in-house I've been designer. Work, I've really. been working with this company for like probably a decade and you I didn't just, realize you and they were got rid of their in-house yeah. while I've been working there. They got rid of the in-house and it makes sense for them. And yeah, it, it, it helps me yeah, out. It totally. Uh, obviously I actually think. It's a good system. I would much rather us turn into people that are more self-sustaining. And I think it's, there's more longevity. There's all kinds of positivity, but the system is not ready. It cannot catch up. But the good news is I think if you look at politics, even though it's complete mess and it's disgusting, I don't want to get into it, but you can see there are some shifts in ideas of like, we need to think about healthcare. There's definitely people fully aware of the problem. Yes. So it's, you know, I think we're in a pain zone, uh, especially with like the internet, all this stuff changed so fast. We're feeling all the pain points and it's great. We're reaping the benefits because it's like the wild West too. So, you know, I think we we're lucky to have built our careers in this time because of that. But we also are going to have to suffer the pain of the system being, really not accommodating. Yeah. So let's take a second. And then we're going to, when we come back, we'll talk about the, um, how you took this thought process and started your freelance career. Cool. Okay, so you're coming back to America from England. You've you're educated, and for whatever reason, you've decided that you're going to take a freelance approach. So, how does that start? How does your freelance? Um, how does your like entry into freelance begin? So, uh, I would just start this with saying, um, there's a author called John Acuff. He wrote uh, Quitter, and I just did a book called Do Over. He's doing the podcast rounds right now. He's on everything, and. Uh, he has this quote that I think is super good. And it's, uh, whenever you start a big journey, uh, it's going to be harder than you think, but you're also infinitely more capable than you think. Yeah. And so I think when I started freelance, uh, I started age. getting what, what's at what age? Are you at this point? Uh, must've been 20, 20, I think. Okay. And, um, I started getting jobs right at the end of school. Right. Uh, and some decent jobs. Uh, and so I'm getting some jobs every month. Uh, I get, I make more money than the month before mm-hmm. for a year after graduation. And that whole time I was doing a part-time graphic design job and I loved the people there and all that stuff, but I hated doing that job. I hated being at a job. Yeah. So I always wanted to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nine months later, everything's growing, growing, growing. And, uh, I leave and we also move right in that time and everything falls off. 
mm-hmm. pretty much. <laughs> and I, and like all that ramping up, I think part of me thinks, oh, oh yeah, I got to get this stuff going. And as soon as it's going, it'll be good to go. And you yeah. won't have to like generate more you work. You push it and once that. and it's going to coast forever. So I thought, yeah, you know, I thought, all right, I'm good to go. I got all the work and I wasn't, so I wasn't pushing in anymore. And uh, we moved back. And I could have gone and got a graphic design job at a newspaper, like Mm -hmm. a part-time, I needed another part-time thing. I thought I was ready to launch, but I wasn't. Um, But I actually realized that I desperately did not want to do anything pseudo creative, you know, because that was actually like killing me to go and like- Only do a portion. Yeah, just kind of like kind of be creative, but totally do everything against my instincts. Yeah. That's like- really soul crushing. You valued your instincts. You valued your point of view. And my taste and my, yeah. And, uh, so I just thought, I don't want to go work at this newspaper. I, you know, but I need a job. We had one child. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, so when we moved back to Indiana, I was still doing some freelance things, but it, it actually, the recession had hit that in part of the industry, I think right at that time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's about 2009. And, uh, so what I did was I went and got a job at a uh, youth shelter Okay, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made actually. Um, and it's something I've told some of my students is like, if you, uh, if you're not going to fit into a studio environment and, and work part-time as a graphic designer or, or work full-time, if that's not your thing, go find something that feeds your soul or that you're, you sure. love. And, and so I went and worked at, um, I worked part-time at a youth shelter, youth shelter. And I could have worked there for forever, except it was connected to the juvie. Mm -hmm. So you had to work some shifts over there and I couldn't take that. Oh wow. Couldn't deal with it. Not because the kids were usually like the same kids. Yeah. Funnily enough, like the ones that end up in the shelter would end up in detention and back and forth. Wasn't the kids. It was that, um, you would get locked up for, you know, a 10 hour shift with 12, 15 year olds. And they, and it was the dynamic of you're the boss man. They're like your authority. It was so, and I'm so passive. Like I, I've learned to be assertive, but I'm just a passive person. Mm-hmm. It was hell. I couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. I could not take uh, that situation. And and even though I only randomly had to pick up shifts over there, when I worked on at the shelter side, it was like really feeding my soul. And it actually uh, probably has a lot to do with wanting to teach and wanting to help. Uh, younger people that are creative yeah. um, came a lot from that season of yeah. working there for eight months. And uh, so I did that for eight months and built up the, did all kinds of strategic thinking and planning about how do you cut through the noise of all these other people that want to make a living making art. Um, and that's when I started thinking really, really strategically. And yeah. a lot of the stuff that I talk about and think about now came from that season of, okay, I kind of coasted before this, kind of just did the next right thing and just kind of let it unfold. And then when that, when it was a lot harder than I expected it to be, I had to buckle down and figure out how do you actually elevate to a different level? Yeah. Um, so you're coming out of the fact that patting yourself on the back that you're a great artist and yeah. you have to really have some strategy, set some goals, have a plan of attack on how you're actually going to do this. So yes. What stood out to me is that, you know, you said month to month was getting 
was getting better mm-hmm. at first. True. For me, um, I don't, I didn't do, I wasn't quite specific enough to decide how the month is going, but I definitely said at the beginning of my first year of freelance, which was 2005, Yeah. but I've been making money previously, but it was always just like pieces of odd jobs here, but it was more money than I was making in, yeah. in my band, which was my job at the time. Yep. But, um, in 2005, it was, I am going to set a goal for this, this year. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, I want to have made a reputable annual income yeah. for a 22 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but it was definitely, a. I I am stating today that mm-hmm. I am setting a goal and this is going to be the extra push to wake up in the morning to do yeah, it. Yeah. There's gotta be some other thing because I think a lot of us, I think it, it's an artist, um, it's just an artist vibe to go ahead and just kind of float around and flow, yeah, to go with the do flow. Do what you feel and all that. Yeah. I don't think the flow is going to work out. And um, yeah, totally. if you can challenge yourself and it's harder for artistic people to challenge themselves in that way. But if you can challenge yourself to set a goal and try mm-hmm. to do it and not rely so much on your emotion and when creativity strikes. Well, the inspiration to, and all right, that. Yeah, totally. To, to give yourself a little bit of a requirement is like, you may not be feeling it today, but yeah. you need to do this today. And I actually, um, if you want to look at it in terms of story and going back to that quote of like, it's going to be way harder than you think. Yeah. Going into it, I'm thinking, all right, I know that I really want to work on my own because I just don't think I'm cut out to be an employee in quotes, right? Uh, so I go out there and I'm hammering, doing, you know, I'm trying really hard, um, you know, trying to get the word out, doing my website, all that stuff. And uh, nine months after graduation, it was going really well. In looking back at the story, it's very much like you go on this journey and you think it's going to be like a month long journey or whatever. And you get over and you can see there's the goal right there over the horizon. You get up to the top of the hill and there's this vast expanse. It was so much further than you thought it was. <laughs> it was way, fur- way further. And actually at the end of that year, after I graduated, I got a, um, a dream job, a dream, impl- uh, a dream freelance gig. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was for Nickelodeon. It oh, was, wow. it was, uh, to be, to make, uh, an animation for Yo Gabba Gabba. Wow. And I hate even telling anyone this cause you can go find it. Dude, but that's great. Ter- I'm, I'm already impressed. I it's, haven't even looked. It's terrible. Yeah. And I, <laughs> my point is, uh, you know, I'm a year into it and I'm like getting stuff going and all this. And this was the pinnacle of that a year later. And I really, honestly, I'm not just beating myself up. I really like was not ready for that opportunity yeah. at all. Yeah. And I, I hate what I made and, uh, and I hate everything about that. Uh-huh. It was actually for a Decemberist song, which was one of my favorite bands, mm-hmm. that, everything. Another poster. Band. It was a dream come true. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't, and that, that's when I got to the top of the hill and I realized there is, I am not even close. And so the good news is you have so much invested and you've learned so much that you're not going to turn around at yeah. that point. But I realized, okay, now I have to get serious. Yeah. And that was really painful. Um, because yeah. So but, but it's a natural progression of pushing yourself is that falling down, learning, yeah. you know, getting there. And, um, yeah, I think that like, I think what's cool is that, you know, you said before, it'll be harder than you could ever imagine, but what's going to be cool. The best thing about that is when you get to that point, in some way, you're going to be able to handle it. Yes. You're going to be able to get through it. The it's journey prepares like, you so that you are ready. You are, it's like I the, think first it's totally day of, the first day of school. Let, let's put you, you're a freshman. The first day of school, you look in that book, the algebra yes. book or whatever. First couple pages, I get this. I understand you do it. You flip to the back of that book. 
oh my gosh, what is this stuff? How will I ever figure this out? But by the time you get to the end of that book, you're going to understand it. It's going to be a lot easier to handle. And like, that's where I'm at today where it's like, somehow I can handle this business. Yeah. Somehow I know how to run a business somehow, but I didn't know how to do it. 10 totally. years ago, 12 years ago, whenever I started. You can't allow the fact that you know it's going to be way harder than you imagine and that you don't know what you need to know to cross the finish line yet. Yeah. And actually, uh, I'm going to do an episode of the podcast soon about mindset. There's a book uh, by Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck. And this is the biggest lesson I've learned over the past couple of years. Uh, and I learned it before fi- finding this book was that the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. And the fixed mindset says your potential is fixed and whoever you are and how talented you are and how intelligent you are, it's all a fixed amount. And so um, you're making all your decisions based on that. But really in order to do anything worthwhile, you have to set a goal that's out of your reach, Mm -hmm. right? And so I definitely wouldn't have done that. I, I would have not started this journey if I knew how hard it was going to be. I really wouldn't have. Um, but I'm glad that I did. And once I'm in the zone, you know, I, you kept going. You find the momentum. I think a lot of people would say that. Yeah. You know, and I think that we just have to accept the fact that, um, yeah, it's going to be harder than you think it's going to be, of course. Yep. Like, you have artistic talent, congratulations, but that's not the point. That's a small and amount of it. That, that it's artist- not even the baseline. Yeah, it's not no. even the baseline. Yeah. If it's, it's 60, 40 at best and the 40 is your artistic talent. The 60 is your responsibility, your discipline, your dedication, whatever, you know, like I think on your, um, you know, you released a podcast recently on rest Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it was the fact that I have to keep the machine running and no matter what, where my emotion lies, you know, and, uh, I think that's important. I think that it's important that we, you know, I don't think you start a, freelance career, if that's, you know, I think there's a lot of listeners that care about a freelance career. Totally. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are in-house and whatever, but there's in-house people that want to go freelance. Yeah. You have to set a goal and there has to be some other work element to it. And it's not, you're just not going to make it on your talent alone. And the talent is just a really great thing. But listen, if you, I mean, I know designers that didn't even really have talent when they started, Oh but they were so dedicated that somehow they became this great designer, but it wasn't based on their artistic merit. It was based on their dedication and hard work. Well, this is the the whole thing actually uh, about the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. The fixed mindset dips their toe into things and says, do I have the talent to succeed in this? Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I'm going to run and hide. Yeah, forget it. No chance. You right. have no chance to get anywhere in as an artist in that if you have that mindset. Yeah. Um, but I think that if you believe you're infinitely more capable. You, yeah. you don't even know what, you, like looking back 10 years, I often say, well, actually I'll just stop there and say the great part of my story, the redemptive part of that Yo Gabba Gabba job that I totally bombed and I hate the result. And I, I, when I realized what I'd made, I hated even in the moment, mm-hmm. I was crushed. Yeah. Seriously. I thought I just missed the whole boat. It, like this is never going to happen. You again. burned your bridge and, with Nickelodeon. And actually I'd work, I was working with Yo Gabba Gabba and not Nickelodeon, mm. which is actually a separate studio and, um, totally unrelated. Several years later, I did get to work with Nickelodeon and it was the right timing. And I'm super proud of the work that I've done with them. That's awesome. Uh, and so that's the redemptive part of the story. That's amazing. And, you know, um, means a ton to me, but I always think that if I could go back and tell myself as a kid, like 
you're going to work with Nickelodeon. It's going to be fine. It's, but I was, I felt doomed and I felt, um, limited talent and limited resources and, and it was fixed and I didn't see how any of that stuff could ever play out. Um, and so it's something that I do go around proselytizing, uh, people with is you have no idea the potential you don't, you, you cannot understand it just. And so instead of worrying about whether you have the potential and spending all your energy on that, yeah worry about what is it I really, really, really want to do, get super clear on it and then just go. What are you willing to like go over the horizon for? And to get excited about the fact that, listen, you're going to be so much better than this. Yes. Like you are going to improve. You are going to be great. If you keep at it, there's going to be a point when you're going to be great at this and then you're going to stop like, well, maybe not stop completely, but you're going to stop second guessing your words. Yes. You're going to stop guess, second guessing every decision you make. You're going to have confidence being like, no, 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 get out of the way. I know how to do this. Have you seen the uh, video with Ira Glass, the, uh, the gap video where he talks about the gap between, um, have you seen that? No, I, don't, okay. I mean, I've seen some video like this American life used to be a TV show. Oh, really? I yeah. Didn't know on that. HBO. What? I yeah. didn't know that. I was uh, thinking that's what you were talking about. Go ahead. No, go. actually. So Ira Glass has this really great video that kind of went viral and it, he talks about how so many creative people quit because what gets them into making stuff is great taste. So mm-hmm. they like have great taste. They can sense what's good and what's not. And they're excited about what's good, but then they go to make something and that great taste tells them what they're making sucks. Yeah. And so there's this <laughs> giant gap right. between being great and, and knowing your work is actually decent and, and, and starting out. And, and I do think that that's a great message because- Everybody goes through that. And now, even though I'm, I obviously have um, insecurities about my work or things that I don't love or whatever, I, it generally feels amazing to make stuff because yeah. what I have in my head, I can usually make it or make something that even surprises me more than that now. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain level of when you get your craft up to that level, it is so thrilling. It's so much more enjoyable then when you first start out, you're like, I got this idea. And you go to make it, and you're like, this freaking sucks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, but yeah. And I think it's worthwhile to know that you're making something every day. You know, I think there's oh, a totally. lot, I've seen a lot of these hashtags of make something every day, create yeah. something every day or something like that. And like, they're trying to do that. And I'm like, I get to do that automatically. I have, I have no it. choice but to, to make something every day. Yeah. Right. No, totally. And to go back to my eight year old self and be like, Brandon, guess what you get to do. Yes. And it feels like a worthwhile thing. So all of those achievements are, you know, they feel great when you get there. You get the achievement yes. that you're going to see. No, they you're really do. get the pat on your back that you've been wanting your parents to give you your whole life or yeah. whatever. You yeah. get all of that fulfillment <laughs> yes. when you get there. There's going to, you know, my career is full of so many of those moments yes, me too. of, you know, where the universe is saying, good job. And actually, I really, um, I want to tell stories about that because, okay, I do believe that all these things that um, you could seek to find your fulfillment in aren't going to 100% fill you up. They're not going to, you know, give your complete identity, give you all of your happiness. That's true. They're not. But I actually think that we went through a season as a culture continually telling stories about how success or achievement is worthless 
And it actually causes people to not want to achieve things because you're like, well, it's not about money. It's not about <laughs> accolades. I'm just going to live my life. And, you know, yeah. and I actually think it's a bad, it's actually not a great story to be telling. Yeah. Um, Give yourself a year to make it about money. See what you can do. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like there is value in all of these things. And yeah. I, I think, yeah, putting your idolizing one specific thing will get you into some pain. And I'm sure there are places where I've done that. But I definitely would love to balance this equation, especially in the art world, because I think we get it twisted quite a bit with that. Yeah. Um, because those that working, working that Nickelodeon thing, I could literally have cried just now talking about it. It does mean a lot to me. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and um, even getting the chance to, you know, seek some redemption there and like redo that whole process again afresh knowing that I'm now ready and all that. Um, that yeah, is really valuable to me. Totally. It, you got it. It's okay to dangle a carrot. Yes, and, and like totally. to give yourself a carrot and establish what they are. That, what do you want out of this career? Yeah. Establish those early. Totally. And, and, and then set a goal to get to those things because man, they're there. Yep. The, those rewards are there. Yes. So, so dangle the carrot and, and you're going to get there. And when you get there, I mean, man, I am an artist for a living. Yes. And like, there is not going to be a single time in my life. I'm going to say that. And it doesn't just fill my heart with totally. joy because I did it. I'm an artist for a living. That's, that's all totally I, that's true. all I wanted to do. Yes. That was the carrot. Be an artist for a living. Yep. That's totally true. Okay. So what, you know, we're, we've talked about your story, you know, let's, okay. You're into your freelance career. Um, you've had a pretty amazing freelance career. You want to name drop some clients. I, I would actually like you to name, you've, you've already uh, name dropped Nickelodeon. Yeah. <laughs> I seem to do that pretty easily. Uh, I've worked with uh, Sony and Google and Nickelodeon, Oreos, Nutella, lots of food stuff. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. Oreo. You did a lot of news. That was I recently did, Oreo. Yeah, that was, that was a weird, uh, I won't tell the full story of that, but yeah, I did just do some stuff with Oreo that was pretty cool. So what's interesting about you is you went to school to be a designer, but now True. you're an illustrator and I, well, sorry, you're it's a fine. commercial artist. <laughs> so me. what's the difference? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, actually just as an aside, the only reason I think I distance myself from the world of illustration, if I lived in England, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. The reason I do that is because, um, from my limited perspective, uh, it seems like the illustration world in America is very, very attached and steeped in tradition, uh, that started around mid century, uh, as far as I can tell. Um, and there's a very, there's this history that's kind of like, um, either really, uh, celebrated and, and endeared or maybe fetishized and to a certain degree of like, this is what illustration is. And these are the people that you need awards from. And this is this, this is the, um, the illustration world. Yeah. And it's very full of all kinds of, uh, metrics that I don't, I'm not interested in. And so, at some point, uh, the further I dove into that world and that word illustration, the more I was like, Hmm, that's not me. I'm not interested in society of illustrators. I'm not interested in American illustration. I'm not interested in those shows. I'm not interested. I'm not really interested in, you know, if the New York times want me to do something for them, I will, yeah. but, and that'd be great. I mean, <laughs> but you know, that's not, but it's not carrots. my, it's not my, yeah, it's not my thing. And I think that world is steeped in tradition yeah, and it's not a tradition that I know, understand, really want to be a part of. And so if I was in England, I think that illustration is a much more contemporary world yeah. there. And there's almost a total detachment from history. 
it's almost all about what's happening now. And obviously there are pros and cons to that, but yeah, I, so that's probably the reason I distance myself from that word, even though my living kind of looks more like an illustrator in the way that I work. Well, the reason um, I ask is because I'm so fascinated by how different you and I are. Yeah. And like, what's really cool <laughs> is that, well, you know, as we've established before, we live in the same town, Westerville, yep. Ohio. Yeah. Um, it's a Northeast suburb of Columbus, Ohio. And what's so neat is that our work is nothing alike. Totally. And I think the things that started our work are nothing alike. Mm. And, but we're, you're like one of the only guys I can meet that want to talk about the same thing that I want to talk about. <laughs> we want to talk about how we got, yeah. how we yeah. got here. We want to talk about how we stay inspired, how mm. we stay creative and what how we're we doing now, the problems we're trying to solve. All right that now. Stuff. Yeah. But my, but like I love, and I, and, and since windows 95 came out, I love fonts. Mm. I love yeah. letters so much. <laughs> yeah. I love visual hierarchy on a page on how, um, how your eye goes to this word first, mm-hmm. this word, this word, this word. I love making decisions. I love making restrained decisions, knowing that do this, 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 and it's going to give you that feeling. Yes. I love seeing something that's well-designed. I would never call myself an illustrator. Yeah. And I know that I've illustrated plenty of things, but I feel like the illustration that I've done throughout my career has been out of necessity and I didn't. Mm. And a lot of times people will give me credit for saying that's an illustration when I really just feel like it was a big elaboration to complement the type that I made yeah. or something it like that. Served a purpose. Yeah. It type was, yeah. was always the main thing that I was doing. So like there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of illustrative type, you know what I mean? And like you can take type and for me, it's just like all the stuff that I added to that type, it's it based off of that. So I would say that it's probably fascinating to people like you that I'm so into mm-hmm. the layout and the type and where things go and the restraint and the way things are placed and all that sort of thing. Like this Actually, morning. Actually, yeah. And I can, so no, go ahead. Well, sorry. this morning I designed a poster and I just started like it was, um, an in-house guy at another agency was saying, Hey, we need to do a poster for this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, this is kind of the idea that I wanted. And what I found found myself doing was taking as much away from what he did. Mm -hmm. And my job was to, to be confident in the restraint being like, it's just this, this, and this, and that's enough. And I have this, I have this feeling that the lack of, or the negative space involved in that is what makes the thing amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I have the confidence in, in keeping that restraint yep. now. So for me, when I look at an illustrator like you mm-hmm. and a designer like me, I feel like we're not doing the same thing at all. No, yeah. And we complement each other totally. because sometimes I'll be designing type around stuff that an illustrator like you yeah. has, have made. But it's, it's funny how you kind of have no, cho- I think a lot of people, when they start their career, they have no choice, but to be both. Mm. And they may not realize where on the scale or the spectrum that they lie. Yeah. Um, I was, I, you know, if we have this spectrum, I'm probably, um, right in the middle, like at the one fourth mark, if, mm. if illustration is all the way to the Let's see. I'm trying to make it all the way to the right. Yep. And then uh, design is all the way to the left. I'm only at the one fourth mark. So yeah, I'm halfway yeah. between, you know? Yep. And, um, and then there's other, you know, you think of like pentagram pentagram mm-hmm. is, you know, our premier design agency yep. and, and Michael Beirut, it's all about restraint. It's all mm. about making one functionality form design. Even. If you're a designer, your main job is to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're an illustrator, your job is to get out whatever crazy thing is in your head. Yeah. And actually I would push it further because, um, the, so these are all like generalizations or over oversimplification of these ideas, yeah. but I think 
putting them in these buckets make it make some sense. So yeah. like, I always think of it like, um, in terms of like art to math, like art to math. And so like a, that's a giant yeah, spectrum totally. or feeling to thinking and, uh, form to function. Yeah. And so I can think of it in terms of like fine artist to design engineer, yeah. right? There's a giant spectrum there. I feel like, um, I definitely lean towards art, but I, I really, um, I really, really value and appreciate the other side. Yeah. And, and I, I lean towards math. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I definitely, and I think more, uh, if you look at really purebred illustrators, they're over closer to art. I think they, they get all, you know, into the anatomy and the, you know, the aesthetic and the the form of everything go super deep. Like I think pure illustration in a lot of ways is a more pure exploration of sure. visual culture and visual things. Right. And so, uh, whereas I feel like a lot of what drives me are more modernist principles. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like, and I'm saying like, um, functionality and like, uh, clarity and that's, you know, I like, I like flat color and the, I like mm-hmm. that. I, and I definitely, I, I can listen to modernists and, and, and purebred. I can listen to Michael Beirut all day long. Right. And I feel like I bring that thought process to a more artistic approach or a more il- illustrative yeah. approach. And that's the goal is to yeah. be the illustrator who can, who can think about math. Yes. You know what I mean? Totally. Who, who yeah. knows how to take their abstract creation and package it in a way that's palpable for that's a, accessible a broad to yeah. yeah and i i almost feel like disconnected on either side and that's why i like the term commercial artist is it is a, it's a it's very plain in that it's saying it's commercial mm-hmm. it's it's very uh, accessible and and for people and can and uh, but it's also art it's also not illustration has all, man there are all if you if you dive deeper into that word you will see all of the kind of concerns that i have that i really don't i don't care what people call me but that's why I don't really call myself that. And then design, if I hang out with designers all the time, I start thinking, mm, but where is the expression? Like I need to, I want to, I want to have like a more of an expressive interaction with this or yeah. something, you know? So yeah, but I can definitely, I value both sides and I, and I want to marry them to a certain degree. I almost don't, I'm not interested in, uh, uh, either side without yeah. the other. Yeah, you're not interested in the the. the not yeah, really, just I don't for go the to record, the, delinea- the delineation is is useless. There's yeah. really no need to do that. Yeah. Um. When I was, I actually went to Sinclair Community College in Dayton, Ohio, and I got like, I didn't even get halfway through an associate's program. I yeah. don't think I had one full year there. But um, one of my favorite classes was Print 101, mm-hmm. and everything around Print 101 was about screen printing, about um, you know, offset printing, all that yeah. sort of thing. Now, all of those old books. And everything around that, um, it was always called graphic arts. Mm. And that wasn't the design side. The design side was called visual communications there. But as far as this printing goes, and as far as the blue collar, like actual yeah. work, assembly line stuff, they kept calling it um, graphic arts. And I like graphic arts too. Yeah. So yeah. a few years ago, I was just like, you know, what I, what I do feels kind of blue collar. Yeah. And it feels a little bit more, you know, mathematical, I Mm -hmm. guess. So I decided to call myself a graphic artist Yes, and calling myself a graphic artist is really just so that it doesn't say graphic designer. I actually have used that term in the past. So yeah. But graphic artist for me makes a lot more sense because it may not, you know, I see a blue work shirt when I think of graphic artist, and I know that a lot of other people don't necessarily 
um, see it that way. But what my, the visual I have on a here graphic artist is yeah. a blue workshirt yeah. with my name on it or yes. something. So that makes a little bit more sense for what I do. But um, I have never, yeah, I've just never really felt, I've never understood, illust- I've never felt the need to call myself an illustrator. Yeah. It never made sense to me because I'm in this world as far as Banty graphics. There's people like Justin Kamer of Angry Blue mm. who like, and God Machine and Ali Moss and um, all these gnarly Aaron yeah. Marsh, all these gnarly illustrators that can draw. I mean, yeah. draw these gnarly skulls with blood coming out, or like <laughs> zombies with all you know Kyle yeah. Crawford drawing these gnarly zombies with all this stuff. So I've always looked at those guys as illustrators uh-huh. because there is no way I'm going to sit on a sketch pad and labor over an illustration for yeah. an hour. I'm just not going to do yeah. it. So my ADD and I'm, I'm not as diagnosed as you are, <laughs> but my ADD you only, don't have the certificate. only allows me instant gratification. And that's what I love about design is that I get to get instant gratification out of this, put this, 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 there doesn't need to be a ton of time into it because it's been a badge of honor for me to know an accomplishment for me to know that I can do this, 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 and create an amazing piece. And I think I value that efficiency. I value that quickness. Um, but, and I might, but then I I see you do an illustration. You've got this, um, moleskin here and you've got like great illustrations inside (laughs) of it. And I don't even think you'll even use those for anything. You might Instagram them or something, but like the fact that you've got something inside of you that needs to come out. And I think that, That is the best core of an illustrator is that, listen, I don't care how much time it takes. I need to get this out of me. So if you're angry blue, um, I've got this gnarly, I had this crazy nightmare Mm. of this monster and I'm going to draw it and you're going to be amazed by the detail and all that stuff. I never play the detail game. That's never been my forte. That's never been my interest really, but I am so amazed by these other illustrators that do it. So in that world. And those people are further on the spectrum than me. Yeah. So in that world, I'm like, I'm not that. So I guess I just have to call myself a designer. And I still feel, I still have similar things to you where I like the economic view of like design. I like the idea of like, I I have actually, I think. I'm really interested in the idea of relativity and saying, let's hold these two opposing things in the same bucket Yeah, because that often feels the most human to me because we are so, our brains are composed of all of these different tugging and, you know, pulling all that stuff. And I think uh, I love the idea of art and math business and art right in the same bucket. And and that feels human. It's not, you can't totally, um, words are going to, words are all we have, but they're the, they can't completely hold that. And I love that. I think that that's normal. That's probably a good place to be. It's an interesting space to like work out. With that said, would it be safe to say that we believe in order to make it, you have to have a mixture of both. You have to have the math but then you have to have the art. It has to be, you know, you can be this amazing illustrator, um, but you don't know how to do the math or you can be this amazing mathematician and we're sticking with the metaphor. I'm not actually telling you about calculus. You're, you're an amazing mathematician, but you don't let your heart and creativity into it at all. There needs to be a mixture of both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, and I think the key word there is career. You're going to have a career. Career is the word. If you're not going to have a career, it doesn't matter. You can do either. If you don't want a career in art, then you can, you can be all artist, but it's going to be a hobby. Unless you win the lottery of art, which is, you know, the fine art world is very much a lottery, right? It's very much like right place, right time, right. You know, you're, if you're just being expressive, 
your expression happens to be at the you know, the, the zeitgeist of society yeah. to where it's right at the right time and it hits and all these things happen. That's fine. If you're okay with that, if you want to be 100% art that you're not give, going to be guaranteed or even likely to have a career. Yeah. Uh, I think about like in, in school, there was this girl in our grade. Um, I got really good grades in school. Um, but then there was this other girl who got really good grades. But what was funny about her and I was that she was sitting up in front of class and writing perfect notes and all this stuff and really paying attention. Yeah. I was in the back class kind of sleeping, yeah. but I still was able to get good, yeah. good grades. Um, what I want her to know is, hey, you got to let your hair down. Mm. Like you are taking all these notes, but at prom, I just want to see you lose it. Yeah. I want to see you take your hair down, take your glasses. Have you know, she's time. all that type of moment. And just like, let's see who <laughs> yeah. you are. Let yeah. your freak flag fly. Yep. Let's see who you are there. Now, yeah. This other scrub in the back, not me, the other guy in the back, he's super creative. He's only, he's only a goof off. Uh-huh. So what you want to tell the goof off is get up Tighten in front up. of the class, just write some yeah. notes, just write some notes. So I think we're either one or the other, maybe not. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's a bigger spectrum, but let's say we're one or the other. So in order to have a career, if you're the sloppy scrub, you got to tighten some stuff yes. up. Yes. And I would say it's my nature probably, I bet I'm guessing our nature our preference is probably to be on those opposite sides to a degree. At least right. we're more uh, opposite in those ways. Like I would say, it's my nature to do what I feel like doing. Yeah. And just, you know, feel like making this thing today. And I feel like doing that. And I feel like making work about these abstract themes. It's like, well, is anyone going to pay you for that? Right. And, and, and I do think it's important to think about, is this marketable, this thing that you're doing, yeah. if you want a career? And, and so I do think you do have to, whatever your preference is, it's fine, but you might have to make up for it to a certain degree. It's my nature to keep my office extremely clean and organized. (laughs) But when I get over there and I have just paper flying everywhere Mm -hmm. and I'm using all these different pens and these paints and all this stuff and I make something, there's something organic that happens that is against my usual nature. Uh And I'm so glad it's there. I make a mess while I'm doing it and the mess drives me nuts. But I need to do just let me see what happens. And I talk, I, it's like a sweet science there. And I think if you deny either side, you yeah. are not going to be a pro. Yeah. You're not going to. And I, you know, what I really get aggravated with my students, right? I'm telling them, here are the formulas. Here are the patterns in the static of being a commercial artist. Mm-hmm. Here are the patterns. And there are patterns. And when there's a pattern, you can make a plan. Yeah. And so you can strategically go at this. And that's, that's because it's a business. There you know, are those interesting. things. What I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. What, what I just, what I just realized is that we would say that you're the abstract guy. You're the art guy. Yes. And now you're more passionate about the rigidity of this is how you do it. Yes, I am. Here I am being the guy who's um, organized and um, rigid or uptight, whatever. And I'm more now about follow your heart and see what's inside. Do you, you. know why? Well, I think it is. I think it's because most of your thoughts and advice are wanting to go back and talk to yourself. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's like, I want to go back and be like, straighten them up. Yeah. You want you, you're thinking that, oh, it's just, it'll just happen if it happens. And it just did it. Like, no, these are all the ways that you're wrong, Andy, from 15 years ago. And you're going to pay for all those things. Well, and so so I have, you know, so you get passionate about it. For me, part of me uh, leaving or my band breaking up, whatever you want to call it, the band not happening anymore was because I was the straight rigid be like, guys, I need to go home and make an annual income and I need to get this design career going and yeah. I need to be focused and all this stuff because the band was this like free flowing thing. Mm. 
And maybe I'm going back to him because I do have regrets about the way my band ended. Right. You know, I have regrets because I wish I could go back and tell myself, dude, lighten up. Yes. You're 21 years old. You have a record that's doing well. You got a video on TV, all that stuff. Relax, like let it unfold enjoy a bit. It. Keep yeah. doing your other thing Why are too? you in such a hurry to yeah. go and have that rigid lifestyle? Um, I mean, with all that said, I'm glad my career has gone the way yeah, it has. Totally. I'm glad I got the start at the age I got the start at. But you're right. There is something me going back and telling that. Us being these yin and yang, um, you have a podcast yeah. that's been out for a long time. Yep. Obviously, we're listening to my podcast, yeah. which I'm starting. Yes. And, um, you know, we have this advice to give people, well, for some reason we have, we have a heart. So, yeah, yeah. So why, why are you doing the creative pep talk? Uh, podcast? The reason I'm doing it is because, uh, it really goes back to my mom. We'll go right back to the beginning is yeah. that I think I really believe in, um, you free will. And I think actually that's a weird thing to believe in. I think people, less people believe in free will than they think they do. Yeah. And I think that, if there was the right mentor, maybe this is unhealthy to a certain degree. I don't know. I'm sure there's part of it that is, but there's part of me that wonders if there was the right mentor for my mom back in the day, she was an artist and she was really brilliant. She's actually more talented than I am. Uh, and she actually has written kids books that have gone nowhere, you know? Um, and I think about had she been able to, uh, have the business acumen, the other side of the artistic spectrum, if she would have had somebody who could have cultivated that in them, coached her, helped her to get a little bit more serious about that, get some achievements in that area, whether she would have, um, lost some of that restlessness mm -hmm. that caused her to abandon two sets of families. So that's the bigger, you know, more like you've seen a huge example of creativity going to waste. Yes. And, and then in my own life, knowing if I don't make a good run at this, I am not going to be as good of a dad, as good of a husband, as I'm going to be less successful in terms of being a human yeah. if I cannot find a way to allow my real strengths to shine. And the society that we lived in, live, lives in, live in is not set up to make this obvious and easy. Yeah. So all of these things that I've strived and struggled to figure out, I don't want to just die within me. Yeah. I want to just give them away to as many people as possible so that if my mom is out there at age 22 graduating, yeah, she can hear some of this stuff. And it's like you're pulling this curtain and saying, listen, none of these people are going to tell you this. Yes. Come back here. Let me try to tell you how it actually is. If you want to do this, let me tell you what this, what I wish I would have been told Yeah. so that you don't have the barriers. And it's not, not necessarily barriers, but it's not so confusing. Like, it's, it is, conf it's confusing. And I think uh, the thing about, the art world is that it does seem so, uh, random, uh, but in the commercial arts, in the business, if you're making a business out of it, yeah. it's more of a business than you think. Right. And yeah. that's one of the things that I'm mostly talking about is there's a lot of business to this. It's and, not. And if you can be 16 years old and go back to your parents and say, and not, not you necessarily, yeah. but on abroad, if you can go back to 16 years old and say, listen, 
I want to be an artist for a living. I know you're going to chuckle at that, yes. but it's an actual business. It's a business. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to have some business where I like build um, tractors or whatever, no. something that actually makes sense. Yeah. I'm going to be an artist for a living, but it's going to be a real business dad. Well, that provides value you. in the marketplace. It does provide ma- value. Totally. And it's, it, and so uh, that's what that's all about. And that's where my passion comes from. I do want to just set that down and say, that's the, maybe the pure, uh, the pure motivation, but yeah. on the flip side, uh, for full disclosure. And I think that I, I, I don't feel ashamed of this in any way. I have this abundant mindset that says, if I'm out there helping other people, it will help me yeah. too. Yeah. So I, and I don't have any shame in saying that because yeah. that my, my worldview is such that I believe if I focus my energy outward, then that energy I'll be, other people will focus their energy on me. And that's actually how I will. And so I knew that doing the podcast would benefit my career too. Yeah. And it was part of a, it's part of my marketing, but I don't say marketing, you know, I think a lot of people talk about marketing in this cringe, like that's me promoting myself. And it's like, well, I'm promoting myself by promoting others. So that's the most pure form I can. So I like that. I like that feels very uh, good to my soul. Um, and, and one of my earlier, one of my earliest episodes, I was talking about, um, the feeling of why do I post things on dribble? Yeah. Why do I post? I just recently started posting my work on Instagram. Yeah. And it's because that is one tiny way for someone to participate, someone to participate in your work with you. Yes. Because for me, it's completely isolated. I'm all by myself. And if I, you know, like for a couple of years ago, um, I put out this t-shirt brand called racing machetes. Mm-hmm. I had a friend in Seattle that had this racing team. That was the name of it. And I made some shirts for him. He never did anything with the shirt. So I was like, let me just try to put out a line. Yeah. Yeah. So I got into it. I did the packaging. I did, um, you know, cool little tags and stuff on it. I really just put a lot into it. And it was so cool because it was like people coming out of the woodwork to buy these t-shirts. It yeah, was a way yeah. they could participate. Yes in my art career that feels so isolated. And then when you get on dribble and someone likes or comments mm-hmm. on your stuff or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, when you start feeling there's an audience there for me, it fills, it fills a void so much. And it's yes. not tell, you know, it's not about tell me I'm awesome. It's about remind me that I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, let me give you a way to participate with me because I'm, I am amazed and honored that you even care and that you would yeah. even want to participate in my freelance design career. So that's why I'm doing a yes. podcast is because I need some communal thing that people can participate in because up till now there's really been no no way someone can participate like Aaron Draplin if you buy one of his little coin purses mm-hmm. or hats or pair of socks or whatever you are telling Aaron that like I'm going to wear your name I believe like, in what I you're believe doing in you I support I, yeah. you I love you I, I and yeah. I do and I buy something from him I I am saying I love you man you yeah. are I am so happy that you exist. And I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. And I want you to keep doing that. Essentially, you're putting your hand up for somebody to give you a high five because we need it so much. And I know that there's, you know, in this millennial culture of likes and all that stuff, there's a very, very bad portion of it. But for people like us, it's like, listen, I'm by myself all day. Um, Just let me know there's someone out there. Let me remind me there's a reason I do what I do. So I want to just ruminate on this a little bit because I want to just say that, um, one of the things that I keep going back to is that wisdom is all about nuance. And I really believe that, that I believe that 
there's so much in us that's created for good and it's easily perverted into something negative. Yeah. But I think so many people see it as this polarity of if this thing's negative, then the opposite of it is good, right? So if, if this negative feeling of I need affirmation and I'm going to seek it through getting likes on Instagram, if that's bad, then the opposite of that must be good, which means no likes on Instagram, which is not true. Right. And, and so I think that um, if you're if you're out there, like I I think I talk to some students that they see um, because self promotion and marketing can be sleazy, can be manipulative, can yeah. be you know all of trying to trick people, all that stuff. Because of that, they think that at its core it must be negative, and I don't want to touch it, yeah. right? But in my mindset, I see so much about. I'm out there giving value to you and I'm happy to receive value and it's a win-win. Yeah. But I think if your mindset is lose-lose about everything, it's all about, if it's scarcity, it's all about if I take something from you, you have less and, and I have more. And you know, you're, and so anyway, I think that for me, yes, I am just as uh, flawed as anyone else that I can get obsessed with Instagram likes in, a, in an unhealthy way. Yeah. I totally can. I can, well, get, you can get excited about looking and seeing who, who liked it. And yeah. you know, and you wonder about that feeling yes. like why am, while I'm sitting here talking to my wife, why am I checking to see if people really, really like that? Absolutely. Thing I just posted? Yes. It, for me, it can definitely get gross, but at the same time, there's something decent. In there that. is, there is, there are things about this that uh, like for instance, um, this is a good example of, uh, for me, one of my core strengths or interests is significance. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think Martin Luther King Jr. I'm, I'm not going to comparing myself to him at all, but it is, it's actually, it's MLK. It's day. MLK. Yeah. I don't want to give away the date, but it's Martin. Sorry. You know what? Nobody actually, remembers when Martin Luther King Day is. Today's yeah. Martin Luther King Day. It could have been now. yesterday. No, yeah. uh, I think that for him, he had a, a drive to do something significant. Mm -hmm. Okay. That impulse can easily be perverted into wanting to be famous. Right. But that it's the same drive. Yeah. It's just which way do you go? And so for me, it's like, I want Instagram likes. There's part of me that I want to see that it matters to someone else because yeah. that makes it feel meaningful to me. Totally. And that drives me. And actually, if, I, if I'm driven to do the podcast and it helps somebody and they tell me it helped, it makes me do it. You know so what? It's, a, it's like success is success. It's just whatever perspective you have on it. Because can, yes, I've totally. seen, I have, I'll just say, I have somebody in my family who has a huge band at the moment. Yes. And it's been so interesting to watch what's happened to him because I really understand what it means when someone says, man, I'm humbled. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like LeBron always totally. says, man, I'm really humbled or whatever. Yeah, he does yeah. that thing. And, and now I and understand. And often you think, you're yeah. like, you're humbled by everyone telling you you're amazing. Right. What does that mean? Exactly. That, but I, Here's I what it means. It's, it means that you acknowledge the fact that the success is so far beyond you yes. that you feel grateful that you could even participate, yes, that totally. you could even be a part of this whole yes. thing. So that's what it means when LeBron says that he's humbled. Yep. Um, that's what it means when your band is huge and you become more, I've watched this guy become more and more humble as his band gets bigger and bigger yeah. because it's beyond him at this point. Yes. And, and he is just thankful that he gets to take part in this. But you know what? Has he done the work? Of course he's done the work. But the fact of that is, and honestly, 90% of my podcast is about mindset. It's mm -hmm. about you, everything that happens to you, um, almost everything in your life, good or bad, is filtered through your mindset. The effects of what you do, everything is about having the right mindset. For me, Wait, fun fact. Yes. Um, when I was 16, the name of my band was Mindset. Ah. Let's play a clip. 
That's so funny. I don't know if I actually yeah, will. That Anyways, will be funny. Uh, yeah, uh, I really do believe that having the right mindset, for me, I'm always looking for what is the mindset that serves me and my ultimate purpose of being a great human who loves other people effectively. Yeah. And, and so everything about what I'm doing, I'm trying to search for the right mindset. So it's not about whether this thing's good or bad or that, you know, whether success for your band is good or bad. It's like, if you're finding yourself in the place of success, what's the most productive mindset yeah. to be the best person? And I, that that's, yeah, that's mainly what I'm all about. For me, what I've realized in my career and why I'm doing a podcast is because I have got into, I've got to the point where I am a good designer. I can mm -hmm. tell myself you're a good designer. Yeah. I don't know if I'm great I'm getting close, but I'm, I'm good. You're great. I'm a lot better than I was when I started. Yes. You're a and, pro and you're you definitely know, a pro. Okay. I'm a pro. Yes. You know how it feels? Indulgent. Yeah. After a while, it's like, congratulations, Brandon. You're a, pro, you're, man. You're a great designer. Who cares? How yes. are you making the world a better place? How are you improving, improving people's lives? And I found that, you know, and, and we'll get into this. We'll, we'll move into like these stages. So mm -hmm. you and I give a lot of advice yeah. and we have to really be th thinking about who is the advice for people have to understand their stages yeah. for whatever reason. I've had the stage where hustle was the number one thing. Yes. I've gotten to the point now where I'm okay with who I am. I make enough money, which is a yeah. big, which is a big thing to really change everybody's perspective. Totally. What do you do when you don't want to make more? Yeah. What do you do when you actually can say I make enough money? And when you get through all that stuff, I feel like the work that I do isn't helping anyone. Yeah. So now at age 33, I need to do something else. And I need to, yeah. I mean, the design career is always going to be there. I'm yep. not saying I'm going to do something else instead of, but in addition to what I need to do is take what I've learned and give it to other people because yeah. that is now what fulfills me. If I've reached at 33, I've decided that if I'm not helping somebody else, it's indulgent. I didn't think that no. that's not true for a 25 year old, no. but for whatever reason right now in my career, after doing it for 11, 12 years, this is where I'm at. I feel like my design is indulgent. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I've made the world a better place, yeah. but this podcast trying to help people try to just get through our thoughts. You and yep. I are, are able to articulate what's on our mind, which yep. is, you know, it's rare in a yeah. lot of designers. So we're, we're able to articulate this stuff. So the hope is that um, now we can help somebody else. And yeah. That's and what I, you're definitely doing. I mean, the name is creative pep talk. Yeah. You're there to pat somebody on the back, to pep them up, you know, and that's what you've been doing. And I think it's important to have the wisdom of, I think there's a lot of lack of nuance in this thinking where you go through a season of your life where you're, you know, really, really trying to achieve this thing, being a pro, being yeah. a pro designer. And I think a lot of people get to the end of that cycle, become a pro. And then because it's not then exciting or fulfilling them anymore. They think, oh, I should have never been on this journey in the first place. And I like to, um, you can look at it through different lenses. One lens is through Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is like a psychological um, uh, experiment or, or uh, philosophy, which says, um, you know, when you don't have your basic needs met, that's all you're going to think about. Yeah. And when you have your basic needs met, then you're going to go from that surviving to wanting to thrive. And then once you're thriving, you, you're going to lose the meaning of to keep thriving. There's like a certain... Um, you know, the data says there's a certain income bracket that after you reach that, 
happiness doesn't increase anymore. Yep. The more money you make. And I can say I've experienced the bracket and, <laughs> and, and it going beyond the bracket doesn't make doesn't me do happier. anything. Right. And so, but instead of thinking, oh, this is meaningless, all of it's been meaningless. You're then you have to switch gears. You're at a point in that hierarchy of needs that says now it's time to help other people survive and thrive. And so I think it's just important to know what season you're in. And the other way of looking at it is um, if you look at it, going back to the hero's journey, I think is a, is a good way of describing this. If everybody's sick and you're all, you're all dying and you need the formula, right? You get called to adventure to go find the solution to the problem. You go out there on the adventure, you strive, you find the magic potion that cures your disease. It's not enough to just be cured yourself. Yeah. It's the, the last part of the journey is the return home to take, to take the formula back to everybody else. And that's, I think it's just a natural, um, cycle that you go through. And I think that, um, although I feel like I'm still working on thriving, I feel like I, um, I've got, I'm working that out right now. Um, I feel, uh, led to start helping other people go back to the people that aren't even surviving. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And like I said, the delicate thing with this advice is that, you know, like we just did an episode about rest Mm -hmm. and in the episode, this is my disclaimer. So on creative pep talk, do you remember what number it was? 60 something? Seven, 69. Okay. Yeah. So on rest, basically I, you know, like I just talked about hustle and how I'm over it, (laughs) you know, and I just talked about how rest and like, you know, like, you know, crazy deadlines around the holidays. I don't care. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. What I want to clarify for everybody, everyone who listened to that episode is this is a phase. This is an eight. I don't want to say age group. It's not necessarily as easy as age group, but it's very possible for us to say, um, 17 to 20. Here's your advice. Yeah. 21 to 24. Here's your advice. 24 to 28. Here's your advice. 29 to 35, whatever. There's different levels of this advice and you're, you know, it's about setting a goal and getting to that goal. You know, like for me, when I first started, it was just see if you can make an actual income by the end of the year. So it was from January to December. Okay. Is that enough money to call myself a, you know, a, you know, worthwhile citizen of America? You know what I mean? And it was. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well then um, I made that. Let's, let's shoot for a little higher for the next year. But then also the other goals that I set were. I hate doing that. Mm-hmm. Let's see I don't want to do can, that anymore. I want to, yeah. Yeah. Let's see if I can weed that out by the end of this year. Yes. And totally. then this client, um, drives me nuts. Let's see if by the end of the year, I don't mess with them anymore yeah. or this client drives me nuts, but they give me great work. So let's see if by the end of the year, I can improve that relationship. And there's always some goal. There's always yes. some way you're trying to improve this. And it so. takes, uh, you know, things that get you one place are not the same things that are going to get you somewhere else. Right. Yeah. And so, one of the things that's one of my biggest pet peeves is people that really reject the idea of wisdom. And I think a lot of people reject it on the basis of lacking the nuance to see that certain pieces of wisdom work for different seasons in your life. Right. Right. And, and, and they change yeah. as you uh, develop. And actually we're going to record an episode on seasons because I think that it's really important to understand what season you're in. There is a season for many commercial artists, uh, that, it's going to require some serious white knuckle hustle. Right. Totally true. Yeah. And I could do an entire episode about hustle and contradict everything I said about on the episode about rest. Me too. Um, Because man, well, here's the other thing I want. Here's the other disclaimer about that episode on rest is that here I am talking about rest. Here I am talking about it's around the holidays or something. And I don't don't want any work or whatever. 
if you saw the amount of work that I've done this past year, (laughs) it would blow your mind. If I, if you saw the amount of work that I complete in one day, it would blow your mind. You're saying that on the, you're talking about rest on the back of really hard work. And we didn't talk about hard work, hard work, real hustle. Like, um, but I've, part of my career has been make yourself a machine, Yes, you know, ingrain the hustle inside of you so that I don't have to wake up and say, today I'm going to hustle. And like, one of, I yeah, just hustle. No. That's my normal. And actually I don't give myself enough credit for that in terms of like, I know that when it, when it happens to be that two fantastic jobs happen at the same time that are, that you can't deny, you know, there was a couple of months ago where I was waking up at 4am working till I went to sleep, getting up at 4am and hammering. Yeah. So I know how to hammer yeah. and I'm not saying that there's not a time and place for that. Right. Um, but I, I, I think I'm always trying to. We've been doing it our whole career. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing. They don't realize. I wanted well, to balance the conversation. Yeah, that, totally. That's the truth is that I just wanted to balance and say, it's not all, I think hustle gets uh, this thing where it's like, um, do a bunch of stuff really fast yeah. and it'll all work out really fast. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's actually a whole other side to like, how can you consistently over time be the turtle that's slow and steady yeah. and you know, all that. There's but, also this point of career where you're trying to prove something to yourself. Yeah. Maybe you're, you know, deep inside, you're trying to prove something to your parents. You're trying yeah. to prove something to society that you can do this on your own. Yep. And it's very much about you. And you know, it could be argued that it's kind of narcissistic. It's all about, look how awesome I am. Right. I can do this. I'm going to hustle, whatever. I hustle yeah. more than you. Like I work more than you, blah, 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 blah. And then once you've established that mm-hmm. or whatever, when you're over that like fight, when you're over that prove yourself state yeah, and you have kids, yep. you get married, you have other things happen in your life. You, you know, like if you have some like, you know, community group or whatever you're into, you'll start realizing there's other very important things in yes, life to, totally. that fill your soul, that fill you on different levels that will never, um, you Come know, from that, work. yeah, that work will never be able to compete with where yep. it's like, you know, and that's why I said in the, in the episode about rest is like, my wife is way more important than any design work I'll ever yes, do. Totally. Your kids are way more important to you than anything you'll Absolutely. ever make. And that's an obvious thing. But until you get there, you know, if you are just some single person living on by yourself, hustling, go for it. Yeah. Keep it going go on in, man. Um, but don't think that we've lost our, um, intensity no. just by the fact that we know that it's Christmas and we're not going to work and at that all. There's a balance. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And totally. someday you'll get to the point where it's Christmas and you will allow yourself to say no. The I'm way, not yeah, the way I've been trying to do vacations for the past five years and it's been really helpful to me is like taking enough time off. Cause I love what I do. I love thinking about all this stuff to where I don't want to go back. Yeah. Like really getting so much value from the other parts of life that you realize I don't even, you know, I want, to, I'd rather spend time with my kids. Like yeah. get, really get into that zone because I think it's really healthy. Yeah, it um, was, I mean, um, we just got through, you know, it's the beginning of the year now. So yeah. obviously we got through the holidays and like, I took a good like three solid weeks off, really yep. not doing anything. And then there was a little, there was like a week around Thanksgiving. So, you know, the last two and a half months or whatever, there's been like four, mm-hmm. four and a half weeks of, of rest and break. And it's, and it's crazy that first week back when you're like, oh yeah, the stress exists. Yes. Like there's, there's these hustle, you know, totally. this hustle again, because for the first time in a long time, I really found myself enjoying not doing anything. Yeah. And that is a new level of my career yeah. where I can take the rest and not panic during the rest. Yes, I've totally. got to a point where I feel like I have enough, um, stability or whatever with my clients that they say, Brandon's taking a break. We respect that. And He's okay. entitled to a break. That's fine. 
Um, but then that gets into my whole idea about entitlement, which is a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always this balance of like, you are always contradicting yourself, but you're trying to convince yourself that you, it's okay to take a break. Um, but then it's trying to convince yourself to stop the break. You lazy, yeah, you know, totally. like, yeah. And get back to hustling. Get the so, engine running and get Yeah. Moving, so yeah. I've been hustling like all last week I've been hustling. So yep. I, I hustle. Still. Me too, man. I, I came back hard and it was, it's been an intense year already, but yeah. Well, I think you're doing a good thing with your podcast, man. Thanks, man. And I think I it's been it. interesting. You and I meet, I think that hopefully this, um, design and illustration community benefits from our friendship. Yes. Uh, I think we're going to have, um, Obviously we'll have our two podcasts going, but yep. I think we're going to enjoy like combining. Cause I think you and I speak, well, we have a lot more to say when we're, you know, talking Together. to each other. And, yeah. I'm interested. I'm very, uh, definitely it's like new beginning, new times. I'm interested to see where this, uh, rolls into and yeah. yeah. So well, awesome. I'm glad to go. Thanks along for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Graphic Sound was created by me, Brandon Reich. You can find me at Brandon Reich on all social media and on BrandonReich.com. This episode was produced by myself and Brian Skeel of ChrisGrahamMastering.com. Theme music by The Hands of Stone. Title intro song remixed by my good friend Jesse Kale at Jesse Kale on Twitter. Music on this episode included What True Self by Chris Zabriskie, Siesta by Jazar, and this outro song Little Symbols by Get Help. If you're not already a listener of Andy's podcast, Creative Pep Talk, go give it a listen. As we mentioned in the conversation, him and I have a lot of similarities as far as how we want to help the creative community. And if you like the graphic sound, I have a feeling you may like Creative Pep Talk as well. CreativePepTalk.com will take you there. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do me a huge favor and leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show and it encourages me to keep this whole thing going. Right now, you can get three months of Skillshare for 99 cents. Use this specific shortened URL, skl.sh slash R-I-K-E. Apparently, the R-I-K-E must be capitalized. You can find more info on this podcast at thegraphicsound.com and join the conversation by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegraphicsound. Thank you for listening and listening to me. Don't let them kill your soul. Yeah.